We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. Yeah, see, so normally you'd hear the, what's up, but I'm not going to do it, right? So <laughs> my guy Pete is is on the mend. Hopefully if you follow him on Twitter, you've gotten the full piece from the horse's mouth. I know from my perspective and from my guest perspective, and we're going to get to him in a second, we're just thankful that Pete is on the road to recovery, that he's doing better. He's out there sending fire tweets out and getting flowers from from the Lakers, which is a very wonderful gesture from the organization. This is, of course, the Laker Film Room podcast. This is Darius, and I'm joined by a special guest this week, Mr. Aaron Larsoul. He is the co-host and producer of the official Lakers podcast, and that official part is super important here because he is basically a member of the Lakers organization. Is that correct, Aaron? Welcome aboard. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, God, hopefully, we can get rid of me very quickly here and get and get Pete back soon. But uh, we love you, Pete, and uh, happy about all the progress you're making. That is that is it is correct. Uh, I co-host and produce the official Lakers podcast, which uh, means in uh, in a lot of respects, I am part of the organization. So yeah, you you had that right. So this I didn't go over this with you beforehand, but so if the Lakers go on to win the championship, then do you get blinged out? They're going to give you 
uh, you know, I certainly hope, uh, you know, I'm certainly going to be pushing for that. I, you know, I, 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 I do not necessarily have that specified in my contract, but I am certainly going to be pushing for that. I, I will, uh, check my ring size. I got to figure out which finger I want, but, um, yeah, hopefully that is in the offing, uh, shortly because, uh, yeah, I could definitely, I, I think I could walk around town with a Lakers championship ring. That might, that do my yeah, little well gaudy, me. but you know, those things are quite big now. Oh, I'm with right? it. Yeah, I am with it. <laughs> Yeah, I saw the, the the Warriors one from uh from last year, kind of like spun around and had like an inside and oh, I'm yeah, with you all could unscrew that. it and it. flip it upside down. Yep, yeah, I need all it's that. It's like a transformer, right? So, I mean, maybe may, maybe maybe those of us uh, in and around the organization, maybe we would get smaller versions. I don't know. I don't know how that works exactly. Uh, we can maybe get smaller versions than than the players and the coaching staff and all the front office executives, but uh, yeah, no, I want something. I'm pushing yeah, for something. I think all the Laker fans who are listening would want to find out just as much as you would, how that process would work because you know, that would be that the Lakers are back on track to success in it. And well, I'm going to work on it. I, that, I'm going to make that my mission. I'm working on it for, uh, for everybody that's uh, listening to the podcast and all the uh, Laker film room podcast fans and Lakers fans and, and everybody that, uh, follows on twitter and all that we'll get to the bottom so of this. i wanted to start out before we get into the lakers news of the day before we typically whenever we we have a guest on i like to try to get a bit of a sense of who they are and their background and, and so talk to me some about how you became the co-host of the official lakers podcast was this like in your background were you doing this before yeah a little bit yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, I was a, a very mediocre basketball player a million years ago. Um, and after that faded out of sight, after age and weight gain and injuries and just not being particularly good to begin with, uh, when that dream died, uh, I ended up doing some, some radio producing, sports radio producing in San Francisco, where I'm from, went back to San Francisco, um, and then moved up to Portland and worked uh, for the Trailblazers for eight or nine years or so. Yeah, eight or nine years I was in uh, in Portland working for the Blazers, doing some scouting, uh, just random stuff in basketball operations, doing some stuff with, with TV and, and radio up there. And then in 2012, late 2012, I moved back to L.A. and uh, did some more radio and TV producing. And then uh, this came about from from that. So this is the uh, we just finished the second year uh, of doing the show. The this past season, I traveled with the team so that the show could be on the road with the team and did some interviews and, and things like that um, on the road and kind of got a more of a behind the scenes look that I know we'll get into yeah. coming up in the podcast here. But uh, so the second year, this is the second season doing it. The first season, I did not travel. We did it all from. Uh, from LA and then this year I, I traveled with the team and saw a lot of different cities and a lot of basketball and a lot of stories and and, and a lot of fun actually it's, it's so very cool the first year with LeBron James then so yeah imagine that right I my timing yeah, could yeah, be worse exactly so I would imagine then you, you as someone who has sort of been behind the scenes some could give us a little bit of perspective about the change in like environment and atmosphere and sort of the pressures, both external and internal that come with sort of that type of shift and, and the coming on board of, of a player of that stature. Yeah, I think that Speaking to LeBron specifically is kind of overblown. Um, 
LeBron, I mean, look, we're all human beings and we all have our, our happy days and our less happy days and, and people get in moods, but LeBron is really genuinely good to be around. And I think the idea that there is so much pressure because of LeBron specifically, I think that's hmm. overblown. I think more of that pressure, if that's what you want to call it, comes from expectation because LeBron is, you know, at least going into last year, in my opinion, was the best player in the NBA. I believe he's the best player in the history of the NBA. I think he's probably still next year, assuming health, um, probably still going to be the best player in the NBA. But along with that, along with having somebody of that stature, when somebody chooses to come to your organization um, and somebody who is, you know, was in what I think eight straight finals, I think there's some expectation and there's some pressure along with heightened expectations, but I don't think, I think the fact that that comes from LeBron specifically is, is overblown. And it just, I can only speak to my experience, but he was always, you know, fair with me, good to me, you know, said hi to me. And, and uh, I, I think the guys genuinely enjoyed being around him. You know, there's always going to be some, some yeah. growing pains when you have a bunch of new guys and, you know, I, I think one of the issues is that LeBron obviously is is much farther along in his career than a lot of the other Lakers best players. So but I think LeBron did a pretty good job of kind of bridging that gap and, and starting to create relationships with some of the younger guys. So I, I think the like there's pressure because LeBron and LeBron is kind of a you know mastermind in the background of applying pressure. You know, that he's very competitive and he's gonna do what he thinks is going to get the best from people. And sometimes that he does that differently with different people, with different guys and with different teammates and, and whatnot. But I think the pressure mostly comes from just the added expectations because you have LeBron, not specifically. Yeah. I was going to say too, that I think they caught it from two different directions, right? Like not only the expectations from adding LeBron, but sort of this prolonged um, drought of missing the playoffs that the team sure. and the organization has has experienced, right? The Lakers in general have not been, for lack of a better word, this bad over this prolonged right. stretch. Yeah, and the, the fan base is... Yeah, so I it. just think that, that over time, the addition of LeBron combined with the fact that I think everyone's hungry to get back to it. And, and I would imagine that the pressures or expectations came from a variety of different directions and and not just because LeBron came on board. So I I, I say on, on our podcast a lot, um, and this was true of a lot of the guys that were brought on board that, you know, had had different reputations as, as being whatever, you know, around the league. So I used to say that the analogy that I would use is that narratives are kind of like scouting reports. And there's some lag for from it. So if you know if guys had a reputation, and if it's a reputation on court or off the court or whatever, sometimes reality can lag behind perception. And even in the face of new information, there's a perception out there. And so I grew up. Uh, I grew up. I grew up in San Francisco. I grew up a Warriors fan. And you want to talk about like didn't make the playoffs ever. You know the Warriors missed the playoffs for I think 13 straight years from '94 to 2007. And there's there's always a lag. Right. So finally, the narrative starts to change. Now the Warriors are, are incredible, but there's some lag where you don't kind of believe that the reality is the new yeah. reality. And so I, th I think Lakers fans, right, like it's was starting to settle in that the Lakers just 
aren't always going to win. They're a great organization, but they're not always going to win championships because that's not the way the world works. Um, so I think there was some catching up of that. And then, okay, uh, two years ago, kind of seeing some of the pieces develop, Lonzo and Kuz and Josh, a good draft, and you know, won some games towards the end, and then you get LeBron. And, and I think that really heightened um, expectations. That now, it's fair, right? Because LeBron, obviously, <laughs> LeBron's the best player in the world. So I think it's fair, um, but I, I think you make a good point that kind of the expectation externally is uh, – you know, it, it can uh, can to lead to some thoughts that are not necessarily based in reality. It's it's interesting when when you were talking there about sort of expectations or or perception lagging behind. I think like what's happened with the Raptors this year is almost a perfect example, right? Like they added one of the best mm-hmm. players in the league in well, well in Kawhi Leonard. They were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference all season. You you know. They were the number two seed, second to Milwaukee, and they got to the playoffs. And I think their fans over the long term had suffered so many sort of playoff heartbreaks that even though the profile of their team was one that you should predict that they get, if not to the finals, then be a really competitive team in deep into the playoffs in the first round, even they lose a home playoff game and it's like, oh, the same old, yeah, they lost like the, the yeah, same old Raptors. Not very good Orlando team. They lost their first. Yeah, right. They lost the opener again because that's what the Raptors always do. Even though, like I said, it's lagging in the face of new information. Well, Kawhi hasn't been there for any of that, right? He, he's he's exactly. a new guy, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the analogy I kind of I interrupted myself, I think. But the analogy that I use is that narratives are like scouting reports because in the NBA, you have a scouting report and you have a, a, a scout on somebody. You have a, an idea of what a guy can and can't do, what he likes to go to. But that can change. But that that narrative, you know, a guy can become much better three-point. You know, Brooke Lopez has become a much better three-point shooter in his LeBron in his James. Um, there's a perfect yeah, example. Ac- absolutely right. Right. There are guys that, you know, uh, weren't, aren't great going one way or another way and develop their game and, and add pieces to their game every year. And the scouting report, I think, kind of lags behind often. And the, the, at least the absorption of the scouting report, when it becomes gospel, when it becomes believed, I think kind of lags behind. And so there's kind of a, there's a time period that, you know, maybe the new reality is different from the old reality. The other fans are fanatics, right? It's where the word comes from. So, you know, they, the Raptors fans have, have been through some grief. So kind of that becomes their reality. And Lakers fans were used to winning great so that was their reality and I think it's it is difficult to kind of adjust those expectations but um yeah I mean LeBron should adjust those expectations because again he's I mean you know everybody thinks uh he didn't have such a great year again narrative but I mean look at the numbers the numbers yeah 27 8 and 8 I mean third team all NBA and I think that you you know to me that was fair I don't know what your thoughts were on a third team and well, all NBA nod for, for LeBron. The forward class was so deep this year. Yeah, you know what's interesting, which was really interesting about that is around just in in the NBA and media people and everybody, there's kind of a, a like discussion point and about how you see the game where it's always like, is there, what is the minimum? Should there be a minimum number of games for these awards? Um, should MVP, should there be like, just, you should have to play a certain percentage of your team's games to be eligible for it. And again, like 
what are we really looking for? Was LeBron one of the best 15 players in the NBA this year? Yes. Was he one of the top five players in the NBA? Yes. But then, as you said, the forward class was really good and you know, he played whatever, 55 games, yes. I think it was. So how much do you ding him for that? So, yeah, I think it was fair. It was the first time in, I don't what, with 12 or 13 years, he wasn't first team all NBA. So incredible. Yeah, I think it was. I, I, I think I, I had no problem with that. I think it was in line with with reality. I think Clay Thompson probably should have made the as uh, does he the 13 guard. <laughs> yeah, yes, he certainly did. Yes. His reaction video told us all as of does he. So. Let's get back to the Lakers and sort of present day stuff, right? And so mm-hmm. the day that we're recording this, it's Tuesday. And this morning, there was, um, I think, um, a well-reported and um, provocative piece put out by ESPN and Baxter Holmes, um, sort of about the state of the Lakers organization and um, trying to pull behind the curtain a little bit and break down some of the things that were happening behind the scenes that played into sort of the optics of of what is going on with the organization right now. There were some negative things said about Magic Johnson, some negative things said about Rob, well, well, Rob Palenka, Rich Paul, and LeBron James were sort of implicated in various different ways. And I think that one of the larger take takeaways from the piece was just that some of the recent dysfunction that has been put out there around the organization with Magic Johnson's resignation and the way that that occurred and then his appearance on first take and then the Tyron Lue negotiations and, and just a lot of the stuff that has gone on that hasn't necessarily put the Lakers in the most flattering light that this piece sort of went to try to get to the bottom of of some of that stuff. And we covered this at the beginning. You're a Lakers employee, so I'm not going to ask you to sort of get too in the weeds with this stuff. And I think that it would be in no one's best interest to ask you even to speculate on what someone else reported on, right? So I don't want to go in that direction at all. I wanted to more ask you about, you you know, you've interacted with some of these people and had conversations with some sure. of them. And you sure. have sort of this insider perspective from personal relationships. And I think it'd be informative some to sort of hear what you might have to say, not necessarily about the reporting aspect or about the veracity of the reports and what was put on. I was going to say paper, but <laughs> the internet for everyone right. to read, but but more just from your own personal experience. Yeah, I think the thing that that stuck out most to me, um, and at this point, I think like process wise, it, it can be important or interesting or pop, perhaps instructive. But I think the magic stuff is kind of like should be put in a different spot because he's not working for yes. the team anymore. Um, so I think some of that is just as uh, salacious isn't the right word, but very, he said, she said with that though. Right. Right. Yes, absolutely. But so the thing that, that stuck out most to me was this notion that, um, you know, LeBron and Rich Paul had taken over the organization and there was too much access for Rich Paul and all of that. And, um, I, I agree. Magic went on a, a sports center, um, Later, and they they asked him about that, and and 
in my in my experience, what Magic said actually on on the show was correct that he didn't really have more access that much. He's a super agent, and LeBron is a great player, and KCP also a, a client. Um, and so my experience was it was fairly normal as as these kind of things go. He wasn't, you know, as Magic said. Um, um, there, I think I think the article claimed that you know he, he was kind of a regular on a on on the plane and all of that, and that was not my experience. Um, Rich was around; other agents have been around, um, but it was not my experience that that ever felt like it was overstepped or like that it was uncommon or didn't belong. I, I was I haven't been in any of the coaches' meetings. Um, in you know the locker room at halftime or anything like that so i don't i can't speak to any of that stuff but i think the the notion that rich paul and lebron have like taken over um and have power and influence that is like completely out of line with the way that nba teams operate i i think that was overstated i never felt that way I've been, you know, as I said, with the Lakers a couple years and was with Portland for a long time before that. And it never felt to me like it was, you know, just beyond the pale and, and something that just doesn't happen. So um, I did not I did not see Rich on the plane multiple times um, that was alleged, I think, in the article I, that to my understanding or not my understanding to to my experience, that isn't correct. Um so I, I think that was kind of just overblown. I, and I think the other interesting thing is that anytime, and, and I'm not going to speak to the quality of reporting because, you know, I think Baxter does a good job and, and a lot of, of the people around the Lakers that cover the Lakers and, and write for all the different publications and all of that. I think they're really good reporters and, you know, pretty honest and, and all of that and don't go with stuff unless they feel like they have it on very good authority that these things are correct. But there is always different versions of people. People have their own truths. And um, I think it's always important to, in these pieces that are sourced, um, that, you know, not, we're not going to find out who the sources are, but understand that somebody wants all of this to come out. Um, Somebody wants this, if this is their truth, or maybe they're just fabricating it, but somebody, whatever they are telling to the reporters, somebody wants that out in the world. So, um, I think that's always kind of interesting and, and not even interesting, important to uh, to remember that there's a reason things are no, being I'm, said. So I'm a big person on context, right? And trying to understand as many sides of a situation and trying to see the whole board is a phrase I like to use a, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've said this a lot. This is a tan tangent, but I've said this a lot about like trade rumor reporting, Right. And this idea that like, oh, um, this offer is out there or this team made an inquiry to that team about this player or this is the package that is being being offered. And one of the first things I always think about reports like that is why is this out there? Who is putting it out there? Who benefits from this information being out there? And where is the leverage because I'm, I almost always look at leaks as a means to gain advantage or leverage within some sort of power structure or dynamic, uh, whether it be uh, personal or professional, um, 
within an organization, between multiple organizations, that's, that's just how I see this stuff. And just like you said, I don't yeah. think that this um, discounts the reporting by any means. Um, I've had plenty of great conversations with Baxter Holmes. I respect his work a great deal. And I can say the same thing, just like you said, ab about many of the day-to-day -day reporters who cover and are around the Lakers organization. That said, information is, and news information and what is newsworthy, there's always um, a tilt on that from the perspective of whoever is giving out that information. That doesn't make it um, more true or less true. And it's always difficult to um, ascribe motives to sources when we don't know who they are. We don't know why they're saying what they're saying. And I always just try to keep all of that in the back of my mind when I'm looking at situations just to try to keep an even keel and try to best understand everyone has a version of a story. And I think as a fan, personally, my goal is to try to round up as many versions as I can in order to try to get the most complete picture of something. And I believe that's called emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah. like I... Right, like um, it's what everybody, you're right. Just because I'm always someone who tries to give the benefit of the doubt to people um, and ascribe positive value to motives. I know that that's not always true, and I have to check myself with that at times as well because I think it would be super naive to go through life like, oh, everyone's just out to do the right thing because that's not true, right? Like, this is a multi-billion dollar business and there are extreme stakes at play. And whenever that's that's the case, there's there's going to be people angling for a position within an organization or within the power structure of, of an organization to position themselves in in a way that's going to benefit them just and hopefully then hopefully benefit the organization as as a whole but those things don't always play out that way so it can always be tricky so sure. but to consistently look at things only through a single lens like oh magic johnson is bad so he's in the wrong or or Jeannie Buss said this or hasn't said this. And so I'm going to view her this way or Rob Palinka has this reputation. And so I'm going to always view him only in this way. Like, I just think that that's wrong. Well, I think, it, I think it's wrong. And it also, in my opinion, leads to poor conclusions because it takes, we talk a lot about, and, and I listen to you and, and Pete, I listen to, to this show a lot. And we talk about it on, on our podcast and people write about it, about process versus result. And if you are just seeing the result and then reverse engineering everything to fit into how it ended up, I think you're missing a lot of it because nothing is black and white. There is always some gray area and stuff. And so, you know, what I will tell the Laker fans out there is the people that are running things for the Lakers care about the Lakers and want to win basketball games. They're definitely, look, we're all, again, we're all human and, and we'll make mistakes. But when we say, you know, I feel this way about this person, therefore everything they do is great or everything they do is wrong. You're, 
eliminating the process. You're reverse engineering whatever the results are in your head and and fitting that narrative, fitting the results into that narrative, whatever you believe, as opposed to saying, okay, you know, are these persons interest genuine, right? Are they, do they care? Are they trying their best, et cetera? And I think it's important to, you know, look, nobody around the Lakers likes losing and likes losing and not making the playoffs as it has been. But there are, there are reasons for that. There are, you know, there are, there have been narratives created, but there are, there are reasons for that. However, if everybody is doing their best and is, and is good intentioned, as, as you say, and that's not going to be all the time, then I'm more inclined to give people the benefit of the doubt, which sounds like yeah. what you're saying. So speaking of decisions, there's one that was just recently made, mm-hmm. um, and I want to get to that in a second. But before that, we're going to get to a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations Podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. All right, Aaron. So we talked a lot about sort of decision making and all of that. A decision that got announced on Friday afternoon is the Lakers just hired Judy Cito and they announced her as their new director of sports performance. Lakers fans should be familiar with Judy. She is, she was, I should say, I want to say she was the lead physical therapist for the Lakers. I believe that's correct. Yep. Yep. During... The last sort of five years of Kobe Bryant's career, maybe even longer. I know that she consulted with the Lakers going back as early as 1990. So she has a long history with the organization. She has a long history with Kobe Bryant, um, which also means then she likely has some sort of history with Rob Polinka, as who was Kobe Bryant's agent at the time. So first of all, um, I wrote about this today on Foreign Blue, Blue and Gold. Um, I think the Cito's a good hire. She is clearly um, a subject matter expert. She is held in high regard. She is well qualified, I think, to do the work that she has been hired to do. She checks off a lot of boxes on that professional side. I also think she checks off boxes on the personal side, like I just brought it brought it up. One of the things that I've sort of been um, critical of the Lakers on is this idea of like sort of keeping it in the family and them not necessarily going outside for outside perspective or looking outside the organization or their circle of people to hire people. That said, this sort of in a nice little Venn diagram of people who are well-qualified and people who have a history with the organization, I think that she is right in the middle there, which is a good spot to be in. Um, What do you think about the hire in general? Do you have any sort of past history of knowing about her and her work or, or just what are your general impressions about this hire specifically? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you you had gave some good thoughts on it. Um, I think that 
from all of the research, I don't know her personally, but from all of the research that I have done on her, um, I have not found anything negative. Um, a lot of schooling, a lot of experience. Um, also, you said the, the the Lakers experience, which can be, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can be very helpful to kind of understand what you're getting into, especially um, in this case, as, as you said, she worked very closely with with Kobe. Um, you know, and and a lot of that was maintenance for a superstar as he was getting older, which kind of fits in with with the LeBron territory. Um, and I, look, she's really well regarded everywhere. Everything that I've heard has been has been very positive about her. And frankly, the Lakers didn't do a very good job, whether it was coincidence or not. The Lakers did not do a very good job of staying healthy last year. Um, like if if you asked me before the season started. Who are the Lakers' five best players? I probably would have told you LeBron and and the four guys in the young core. And you know, Kuz played seventy games. Josh played with sixty-seven, but a lot of those he was he was pretty banged up. And LeBron fifty-five, and and Brandon fifty-two, I think, and, and Lonzo under fifty. So you know, that's a lot of games missed due to injury from your best players. So um, I think that. Look, maybe it was coincidence, maybe not. Um, but I, I, th- I think that she definitely has a competency in uh, rehab, getting guys healthy, uh, keeping guys healthy. And I really like the hire because, you know, from everything that, that I've seen, um, and actually I, I've heard um, Kobe speak about her very highly. So I, I'm I'm fully in favor of the hire. I think it's a really good hire, you know, and, and as you said, it does, it checks the very qualified for the job and also the the Lakers history, which, you know, it people have differing opinions on how wise all of that is. But in this case, she seems incredibly well qualified. So and I think the Lakers history in this case is helpful because she has experience with with Kobe in a similar situation to uh, to LeBron, who who also spends, you know, there's there's uh, there have been stories about how diligent and I I have seen this with my own eyes about how diligent he is working at getting healthy, staying healthy, being healthy, but also the expense that he goes through and, and his routine. And uh, I, I've been told that he and, and his trainer, Mike Quincius are going to work with, with uh, Dr. Seto pretty carefully and closely. So I, I think that's a really good yeah, thing. Yeah. I was going to say too, that the stuff with Kobe, Kobe, I think that that's an excellent point. Um, we talked about that, article that Baxter Holmes wrote earlier. Well, Baxter Holmes also wrote a fantastic piece um, in Kobe's final season where he got a bunch of on-the-record quotes from Dr. Seto and from and from Gary Vitti about sort of the process of getting Kobe ready to play and mm-hmm. everything that went into getting him in, in a position to be able to perform on the court and then everything that they dealt with in the aftermath of those performances in order to help him recover to get back to be able to play the next game. And um, the level of expertise that she just sort of spoke with in, in that article really resonated with me as someone who could make a difference um, not only with LeBron, but with, the entire organization, right? With setting a direction and an idea about um, 
what are best practices in this area in in order to optimize the performance of the players on the court. The Lakers have been one of the hardest hit teams to injury um, over the past several seasons, not just last season. And just like you said, maybe that's coincidence. Maybe it's bad luck. It, it could be a ton of different factors that go in to that. What I'm hopeful of, though, is that by hiring super qualified people in in these specific areas can can only really help bolster this part of the organization to help try to to maybe fight some of that bad luck right or ch- or or change some of those circumstances yeah i think uh you know we we've, we've been talking here about you know process versus results and in this case i think the process gets an a you you even if it is coincidence maybe it is maybe who knows right maybe there was something that uh, you know, could have been done more, et cetera. But I think you bring in the best people you can. And, uh, you know, the more good, qualified, awesome people that are around, the better your luck tends to be in these, uh, in these equations. So I, I think it's a really, I think it's a really And I idea. wanted to speak to just really quickly to the point that you made about, it's not always a bad thing to go into your past. I have sort of railed against the organization for sort of, um, in the manner in which they've lately at least sort of circled the wagons and and kept a lot of things close to to the vest and and really kept a tight inner circle which has sort of driven the decision making process seemingly as an outsider which has sort of driven the the decision making process around a lot of the hires and the direction of well of the organization that said when you have an opportunity to tap in to parts of your past where people have shown success in the exact area that you're targeting them to now perform in in the present, to me, that's a positive thing, right? It's one thing to say um, person X was really great at a job as a player, for example, and not to pick on Magic Johnson here, right? But let's just say, you know, this guy was a fantastic player and he has great business acumen and he has success in all of these different worlds. And now we want to hire him to be our chief basketball decision maker. Those things don't always necessarily align, right? They can align. We saw that with Jerry West, right? Where he was a fantastic player and then ended up being a fantastic executive and it's happened um with a bunch of other examples across the league but in this specific case they've literally hired a person who was great in this sort of realm and in this specific area of expertise and they brought her back to basically do a lot of the same things that she was doing before um with i think a bigger title and probably more responsibility and more vision setting than what it was when she was the physical therapist. Um, but in that same same world, and and it's not always a bad thing, like I was saying, just to tap into the people that you've had before and just say, you know what, maybe it'd be a good thing to bring these people back into the fold. Maybe that's just me. No, I, I yeah, <laughs> yes, one hundred percent, yes. I agree with, I, I agree with with all of that. Um, 
you know, I, I think it's, again, we've been going back to this a lot. It's kind of a theme throughout our conversation here, but um, there isn't a right way and a wrong way to do things in this instance. So just because, um, you know, somebody have, you have past history, does it, in my opinion, shouldn't decide for or against them. There has to be, there has to be nuance and, and you have to trust that you are able to hopefully pick out, you know, the good parts of that and, and more often than not. So I, I think this is a, a really, a very strong hire and uh, I don't think it can do anything but help. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree there. So before we go, um, I wanted to actually pivot away from the Lakers and maybe there'll be some Laker tie-in at the end of this. The NBA finals are about to start and I just wanted to quickly, right? So I feel like we've all been thirsting for basketball a little bit in this past yes. week and yes. there have been no games on. Um, and like you said, you're from the Bay Area. So maybe you have some, I am. you know, side rooting interests in in this series. We don't have to necessarily get get into that. I don't want to bring <laughs> any charges to the Lakers organization. I have no, I have no idea. I have no idea of what you speak. I have no idea. But I just wanted to talk a little bit of basketball, right? Like I feel like folks turn yeah. into the Laker Film Room podcast, and me and Pete riff all the time about what's going on on the court. There may not be any Lakers basketball right now, but there's definitely going to be basketball. Did you want to like offer any thoughts about the matchup or the finals? Dig into any sort of X's and O's yeah, or well, any of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, yes, let's. So obviously, I think um, you know, uh, injury is gonna gonna play a, a big part of that, and whether the Warriors get a couple of their best players back. Um, but I think it's going to be very interesting um, how the matchups work and who guards whom and how fearful. Uh, the Raptors are of, you know, the Steph and Draymond pick and roll. Um, so I wonder if Kawhi ends up starting on Draymond, I think would be a possibility just to kind of try to neutralize that Steph Draymond pick and roll very quickly. Um, or does he just going to, is Kawhi just going to uh, guard Steph and, and they're not going to switch it? Um, I, so I think that kind of like cat and mouse um, game with the Warriors and and the uh, the Raptors, Kind of depending on who Kawhi guards from the beginning. And look, there's going to be cross matches, and there's going to always be in transition. You find who you have, and you're always going to have, you know, switches very early in possessions because of how how the Warriors play offensively. So you can't, you're not going to have that matchup 100 percent of the time. But I think it's fascinating to see how uh, Nick Nurse and, and and the Raptors try to solve the puzzle of of the Warriors' offense and. You know where they deploy Kawhi. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. The one of the things that I feel like the Warriors have struggled with um, relatively, right? Because championship after championship, not too many struggles. But one of the things that they've struggled with relatively over the years is when teams bring a lot of defensive length to the equation, um, yep. especially at the point of attack, and that's been harder to do when you could just throw the ball to Kevin Durant, right? There's no one who's longer than Kevin Durant at his position who's who's really going to bother him a great deal. But when they can put length on Steph Curry, when they can put length on Draymond Green, when they can um, contest shots on the perimeter while still bringing length on the backside to contest shots at the rim, um, 
because of all the spacing that that exists. The Warriors offense is very good at getting to to the basket, especially when they do run that pick and roll and and teams feel the need to to sort of bring extra manpower defensively to the point point of attack with Steph Curry, then that opens up a lot of things right. on on the backside. And a lot of times teams just simply do not have the size on the back end, nor the athleticism to be able to rotate back or come from the three-point line back down to, to challenge shots in the restricted area. I'm not sure if, besides the Bucks, maybe, um, there may not be a team who's better equipped to do some of that than the Raptors, right? With Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, players at the point of attack, and then coming on at the back end with guys like Pascal Siakam and Serge Ibaka, yep. you know, Marc Gasol isn't the most fleet of foot, but he's an excellent help right. defender and very smart and always seemingly in in the right position. And Kyle Lowry is one of the smartest players, period, right? He doesn't necessarily have size and length, but he is almost always where he's supposed to be defensively. So I'm very interested in seeing how the Raptors deploy those pieces, um, just like you said, in terms of matchups to not only create um, as favorable a matchup as they can at the point of attack, but to deploy their help defenders in ways where they are able to contest the three-point line while still being able to effectively challenge shots at the rim because I feel like that is that is the problem of the Warriors. Because if you do not cover yeah. the arc, they will beat you from out there. But if you were overzealous in covering the arc, they will gash you on the backside for layups and dunks at the rim in four on three and three on two situations when you throw too much pressure at the point of attack. So I think just to to riff off that, I, I think it's going to be interesting to find out how much uh, Serge Ibaka plays versus Mark Gasol and how those minutes are distributed and what Warriors players are on the court in those times. Um, because I, I think Mark Gasol can be, I mean, he is an incredibly smart defender and is one defensive player of the year, but um, he also doesn't move particularly well anymore. And, um, you know, a, a drop coverage is it, just death against the Warriors. You, you can't do it. And I don't know how comfortable he is at this stage of his career being out on the perimeter. So I think Ibaka's, I mean, you talked about, well, Baca was on that, that team that gave the Warriors so much trouble with Durant and, and with uh, Westbrook and Roberson and, and, uh, all of those guys that took the Warriors. Yeah, the to 2016 the Thunder. Uh, because yeah. of their athleticism. Yes. Right. Yeah, because of their athleticism and, and, and size. Um, I kind of su just suspect a fully healthy Warriors. Um, they just are an unsolvable puzzle. You just, there's not, I, I don't really think there's much you can do about it. Um, as the Warriors are currently constructed and, and, Durant, who we found out today, he flew with the team to uh, Toronto, but is out for game one. Um, so without him in the lineup, the thing that also kind of breaks teams is the Warriors, their system, in addition to how good they are, their system has so many actions and so much movement, screens, uh, handoffs, but just guys constantly, Clay and Steph are always in, in motion. And 
uh, it forces defenses to react to more things each possession. And because the Warriors are so smart and so comfortable with each other, um, if a defense isn't ready for that and ready to make those reads correctly over and over and over, it, the defense just breaks because they, their the mind is not <laughs> willing to make all of those correct calculations and be cohesive with defensive teammates over and over and over. So the Warriors, uh, you see it more now. You know, there's the talk about are the Warriors better without Durant, which is nonsense, but. I think they are in some instances more difficult to guard because there's so much more motion that it requires more of a defense. Um, you saw like with, with Milwaukee, um, I think Toronto was able to not exactly figure them out, but they were easier to guard because you knew where the action was coming from. It was generally going to be Giannis at the top of the key. But with the Warriors, with all of their movement, if a defense isn't communicating well and drilled and ready for it, the the Warriors will get, as you said, the Warriors will get layups and dunks over and over because what they will do to you will challenge you enough that it breaks you. Um, and so they're definitely different with, with Durant. So I think I, my sense of the series, even if Durant doesn't play and we don't know, but my sense of the series in total is that um, while I think the Raptors will present defensively will present the Warriors with some challenges, I don't see a path to the Raptors scoring enough to to overcome those you know those for mo- most teams regular slip-ups on defense for the Raptors in this series I think they'll handle it better than most but I just don't think the Raptors can can score enough to to yeah I think it's going to be an interesting slugfest on that side of the ball the Warriors defense has stepped up to sort of to like 73 win regular season levels the way that Draymond Green is is playing right now, the way that Klay Thompson is playing right now, um, Andre Iguodala, they have um, just so many. We were talking about the smart defenders that the Raptors can can deploy. Well, the Warriors also have you know a guy who's won Defensive Player of the Year. They also have um, a guy who just made an All Defensive Team right with with Clay Thompson on Drake is perennially one of the um, elite wing defenders and, and, and gives so many different types of guys problems. So I'm, I'm very interested just, just like you were saying in, in how the Raptors score um, you, you know, one of the lineups I thought that was really effective for the for the Raptors in closing out the bucks was that, to point guard lineup with um, Kyle Lowry and Van Vliet in the backcourt with Van Vliet p- playing for Danny Green. Um, I'm not sure if that type of two point guard deployment can work against the Warriors. The Warriors have size. Well, I think if if if, if Van Vliet shoots 85 percent from three, I think it can, but. I agree that his shooting is clearly an X factor, um, and I know that he's going to compete defensively. I also think, though, that the Warriors are going to throw out closing lineups where there's just going to be so much size on the floor at the perimeter positions. And I'm very interested to see, like, maybe I guess they could put Van Vliet on a guy like, like Iguodala, right? But is that going to hurt them on the defensive glass? Is that going to hurt them in other areas, in cross matches, in transition? 
in matching up in the flow of things. Just like you said, the the Warriors put you in all of these different positions where they are going to be moving offensive players all all around the court and guys are going to get switched into unfavorable matchups at times. And I'm not sure if a team like the Bucks had the necessary guard strength to punish a guy like Van Fleet effectively, right? Attacking him with maybe guys like George Hill and Eric Bledsoe, who did not have a good good playoff series, or even Malcolm Brogdon, who is a good player, but he's not Klay Thompson. He's not Steph Curry. There are interesting matchups within the matchups that um, I'm super excited to see how, how they play out over the course of a seven-game series, regardless of what the injury issues look like. But if those injury issues end, end up getting resolved and then Durant comes back, then that's even a trickier situation with all that size that can be on the floor at the same time for the Warriors. So um, I'm anticipating a really good finals. I'm not sure if you wanted to offer a prediction at all. Yeah, I'm go- I think it's... Uh... Uh, you know what I'm gonna say? Warriors. I I I think it's probably Warriors in five, but I'm gonna. I have a lot of respect for the Raptors, and I'm gonna say uh, the Warriors in six because uh, they are uh, leaving Oracle. This that will be the last game. Well, game, either way, if it gets to Game Six, Game Six will be the last game at Oracle before the Warriors go to the Chase Center, which the Lakers. I think it's October fifth. Play the first preseason, the first basketball game at the Chase Center where the Warriors move um, will be against your Los Angeles Lakers. So I'm gonna say. Um, Warriors in five or six, but I'll call it six. So uh, they, uh, it's a nice little ending, and they can close Oracle with a win. Um, but I, I think it's probably five. I just I don't think the uh, I don't think the Raptors can score enough. Yeah, I, my heart tells me Warriors at seven. Actually, um, are they going to go? The Warriors going up to yeah, Toronto, I when huh? win it, win it, and and. Uh, Give the the Raptors fans another reason to be sad about the playoffs. More heartbreak, I guess, for the five folks of Toronto, which is a wonderful place. I have a sister in law who lives in Toronto. It is. So. It, 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 it is. It is. It's a uh, is a great NBA. So city. let's wrap it up there, Aaron. I I definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, I like you as a guest much better than Pete. <laughs> 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 you know, technically Pete's not a guest. It, it's. It's actually his podcast, and so we're both just sort of interlopers here. But thanks again for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug besides the pod? Yeah, just uh, just go find uh, the official Lakers podcast. It's uh, everywhere that uh, you get podcasts. And uh, follow me on Twitter, at Aaron Larsul. L-A-R-S-U-E-L is the last name. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, this has been the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next time. Give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. Oh, magic ahead and total break. Goes under and scores. Woo! Family motivation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here?
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.